0: Morning. Hope you're hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good week. And uh, I know uh, school's in full swing, and <clears throat> we're all getting back into the rhythm of that. If you have kids, and if you don't have kids, then uh, then that's fine. You had your own rhythm already. So um, hope you're ready for where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Joshua, as you can see behind me. We'll be in Joshua, chapter eight. And I was just uh, spending some time this morning um, reading through joshua again and um, i really was focusing a lot on chapter 7 and 8 this week just for for this message but just felt the need to read through joshua and and one thing that just jumped out to me that it's been there this whole time and we've kind of hit on it several times as we've gone through it is joshua is really a focus or reliance upon the word of god and this is calling of joshua to lead god's people into his into God's promise, uh, what God promised long before the Israelites were even born before Joshua came about. And the call from the very first chapter to the very last chapter is this complete reliance upon His Word, His promises, uh, and His presence in their life. And what we've already been encountering uh, through Joshua is God's people deciding to not rely upon the Word of God to not rely upon what God has spoken over them, to not rely upon what God is is trying to lead them to do, and instead try to do it themselves, to which they find themselves in circumstances that they don't want to be in, much like we do in our own life. When we turn from the Word of God, when we don't allow this to be our guiding rod and and to to light the path before us, we find ourselves in situations to which the Israelites are in, beginning in chapter 8. kind of do a little recap you know we we watch shows and stuff like that a lot of times you know because of Netflix and and those sort of media outlets that we'll watch like a whole season and then you have to wait like a year or two before you can watch the next season and so you kind of forget who's who and what's going on and and there's actually been shows we've really enjoyed but it's been so long since the next season came out that when we started like the next season we just we lost all interest because we couldn't remember what in the world was going on and why they were even mad at that person, so we're like, ah, we're done with it. But those recaps, I love recaps because, you know, I'm forgetful. Anybody else forgetful? Um, and so I love recaps even from week to week. This happened last week or last week on whatever. And, uh, and so the recaps, the story so you can know what's going on. When coming to Joshua, we, we need a recap one because it's been summer and we're kind of getting back into the rhythm of things i know a lot of us have been going here and there and coming back into it but uh for the last couple weeks we've been taking chunks of joshua and, and i know we're probably familiar with some of the stories in joshua particularly in joshua 6 with jericho and and how god gave the battle plan for jericho and the walking around and then the walls fell down and there's you know the victory and then there's the statement or command don't take anything everything's to be devoted to destruction to which leads in to chapter 7, which we dealt with last week, and how Achan, uh, who lived amongst the camp of Israel, decided that he was going to covet what belonged to God, steal it, and then hide it, as if he could get away uh, from God's presence and God's knowledge and His sovereignty. But this brought a curse upon Israel that had to be dealt with, which led to an ultimate defeat at Ai, to which chapter 8 begins to open up. And uh, dealing with the situation in the city of Ai after this defeat. And once again, what we're going to find is as chapter one calls Joshua to keep to the word of the Lord and to not turn from it to the right or to the left. Chapter six, they obeyed the word and commands of God when going against Jericho. Chapter seven, they tried to do it themselves, they did what they wanted to do, they did what they thought was best. And things didn't turn out well. And so in chapter 8, again, it opens completely different. And that's our focus. what The differences between chapter 7 and chapter 8 and Joshua and the Israelites and the outcome of that situation. Um, so let's read through this real quick. And, and, and then we'll walk through it together and, and see what God is wanting us to take away from this to apply to our life. <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 8, you should notice the immediate difference... From chapter 7, chapter 7 begins with, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Chapter 8 is a completely different setting as it begins, And the Lord said, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai, and see I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves, lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and set them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against us just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, They are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand and as soon as you have taken the city you shall set the city on fire you shall do according to the word of the Lord see I have commanded you so Joshua sent them out and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and I to the west of I but Joshua spent that night among the people and then what happens in verses 10 through 23 is the exact command that God had given Joshua it plays out to perfection and completeness And we're going to jump to verse 24. And When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, and all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin, until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction, only the livestock, and spoiled that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord. And he commanded Joshua, and so Joshua burned I and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day." And at that time, verse 30, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount mountain of Baal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he, being Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written, and all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of, uh, half of, them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that is found in your word, even though it may be hard to understand in our knowledge and our lack of full wisdom it may be hard to grasp why you do some of the things you do and command some of the things you do or say and father i pray in this moment that we would be like the israelites here in chapter eight that we would be fully obedient to your word and what you lay upon our heart by the power of your spirit father that we would turn our hearts and our ears to hearing your word and your law spoken over us that we would make a commitment today that we will be a people about Your Word, about Your promises, pursuing Your presence. Lord, I thank You that You promised to never leave us or forsake us. I thank You that You have a plan and and a good plan for us. Lord, You know that we all wrestle with trust and we wrestle with faith. We all wrestle with seeing what exactly You're doing so in this moment, give us the strength. Speak over us as You did to Your servant Joshua. Give us the courage we need. Father, I ask You forgive me where I failed You. Please don't let me get in Your way of what You want to do amongst Your people this morning. I pray Your Spirit comes in such a way, in such a powerful way in our lives that You transform us, that we know we've been in Your presence. We know we've heard You speaking to our hearts. And we know we've been transformed more like you before we leave this place. Give this time to you. Ask that you alone be glorified. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in this time so we might love those people we've placed around us. Praise all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has risen from the grave. Amen. So we're going to begin in chapter 8. And what I really want us to do here for a little bit is to see the differences in chapter 8 compared to chapter 7. Now, if you weren't here last week in chapter 7, uh, you can do a speed read if you want real quick. But if you were here, uh, we can work through this together. What was one of the main differences that we already pointed out that happened between chapter 7 and chapter 8? How did chapter 7 begin? How chapter 7 begin? Come on. It's open book question. Yeah. Okay. The people broke faith with God. They, and even though it was, we talked about last even though there was one individual who broke faith with God who took some of the devoted things, he coveted it, he stole it, and then he hid it. All Israel was held accountable for that one man, one man's action. Now, because of that one man's action, and Joshua was fully, he was not aware of what had happened or what was going on in the camp. Joshua sent spies to I to, to, to get some information, a lot like what he did with Jericho. And the spies come back and tell Joshua, verses 2 and 3, you can look in chapter 7, that, you know, we don't want to send the whole army up there, but we only send about two to 3,000 people up there because we don't want to make everybody toil or weary themselves with what's going on with I. They're weak. They're fragile. We can take them, no problem. And so Joshua hears this news, gets this advice, and he acts upon that advice. Of course, what happens in chapter 7 is the people of Israel meet defeat. And this is like a wrecking ball to their courage and, and, their, and to what is going on with Israel. They just had a successful victory with Jericho. They brought the walls down by screaming at it. And then the next thing that happens is they meet this defeat and Joshua begins to question God. He begins to point the finger at God. against begins to blame God because Joshua doesn't know everything that's going on within the camp. And so God comes to reconcile this relationship, gives them a a step in which they can come back into harmony with Him. And that opens up to chapter 8. And the reason we need to understand that, because when the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. We have to understand God doesn't say anything just for the sake of saying something. There's always a purpose. There's always something about that. So for God to come to Joshua and says, do not fear, do not be dismayed. It lets us know what's going on in Joshua's heart and Joshua's mind. He's the leader. They've met victory. Now they've met defeat. And now they still got to take eye. But is God still with them? Is God still going to bless their endeavors? And so God comes to Joshua, do not fear, do not be dismayed. To lift Joshua's spirit, to lift his courage and it's also a reminder of what God has already spoken over Joshua the promise that God had given Joshua back in chapter 1 if you look in chapter 1 verse 9 God says have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go Joshua needed this reminder that God is with him God will bless him God's presence will be upon him but he cannot fear he cannot be dismayed and he he has to cling to God's presence and God's Word in order for success to truly happen. And this is a major difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8. In chapter 7, Joshua hears the words from spies, from sinful men, even though they were God's people, and he acts upon that. Here in chapter 8, a major difference is that God speaks to Joshua, not spies, not human beings, but God speaks to Joshua and gives Joshua the plan for which Joshua is to act out. And we see how it works out in chapter 8. It comes to completion perfectly. But Joshua's struggling. He's struggling with this next step. So God comes to remind him. Another major difference, in chapter 7, the spies tell Joshua, look, the city of Ai is pretty weak, it's pretty small. We don't know how it compared to Jericho. We do know in chapter 8, verse 25, there were 12,000 people in the city of Ai. That seems like a lot of people. I mean, it's obviously bigger than Stratford. But the spies' advice of Joshua is you should send about two to 3,000 3, and we can take the city. So Joshua sends the most. He sends 3,000 people, which isn't the entire army. And when you come to chapter 8, do you notice what God tells Joshua to do in verse 1? Don't send 2,000. Don't send 3,000. Don't send a third. But he says, take all the fighting men with you. Take all of them. See, this conquest of the promised land wasn't something that just a fraction of Israel was supposed to be a part of. It was a call for all of God's people to be actively a part of God's promise and what God wanted to do in their life. So God says, don't be over Take everyone with you. Take the entire army and head out. And then he gives this promise once again in verse one. I have given you. Into your hand, the king of I, his people, his city, and his land, which echoes what God had promised before this conquest even began. I have given you this land. And as they came to Jericho, God said it again I have given you Jericho. And so now God gives it to Joshua one more time I have given you this land, its king, its people, its city, everything. I am the giver of this blessing. It's not you, Joshua. This isn't relying upon you and what you think you can do. It isn't relying upon the Israelites and what they think they can do. It is fully relying upon me, the, the God and the giver of all gifts, to give this to you. It was a promise and a statement to Joshua to bring him back to the attention that he needed, that everything that was going to play out in the promised land was that they would be completely relying upon God and only what God could do. It wasn't about what they felt they could bring to the table. There's also another big difference. Verse 2 of chapter 8, And you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Meaning they are to devote this city and its king to destruction. We'll come back to that in a second. Only, verse 2, It's spoil and its livestock. You shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And then the plan plays out. The difference between Jericho and I is that at I, God gives permission for Israel to take some of the plunder for itself. Why the difference? I imagine that when it comes to Jericho, since it was the first city, the first battle they would face, that devoting everything to complete destruction was a call to trust God. Are you going to trust me in this, even though you don't know what lies ahead? Are you going to trust me that everything at Jericho belongs to me and you're going to bring it to me to the treasure of the Lord in the house of the Lord? And of course, we know Achan didn't. Akon decided that, you know, what, I don't know if I can fully trust God in this moment. I don't know if God's going to fully bless us and continue to bless us the way he does. So I'm going to take a little bit for myself. But here in chapter 8, God lifts that full ban of devotion to destruction. And he offers this plunder that now the Israelites could take. And it's a simple lesson for me. that You know what? If Akon simply could have waited on God to to continue to bless him, Akon not only would have received the blessing of I, but he would have remained in the tribe of Judah and and possibly remained within the lineage or chronological line of Jesus Christ. But Akon's decision removed him from that blessing. And so God says, you can have some of the plunder now. And then He lays out the plan. Now, I don't know how it played out in chapter 7. It could have been a full onslaught that they tried to take eye and felt that they could take it. But in chapter 8, God gives the plan to lay this ambush, to which chapter 8 plays out that the plan was fulfilled to perfect execution. And Joshua sends 30,000 men. That's ten times the size of the original army that goes to the Ai to lay behind the city. Then Joshua takes another group of people, about 5,000, which is still larger than the original army they went to Ai, that they're going to help lay an ambush to the west. And then Joshua's going to take the rest of the army. He's going to draw the king of Ai out. And it says in verse 14 that the king of Ai saw Israel. And that's always an interesting phrase when you read through Scripture, when people see things. Because a lot of times when we see things, it's through our sinful perspective and our sinful understanding. And we can see things the way they aren't truly supposed to be. Akon saw the things devoted to God and he coveted them, he took them and he sinned. The, The king of Ai saw the Israelite army and he felt that he could take them once again as they had done in the past. And so by their seeing, by their human wisdom, they acted and it led to destruction by both people. And so when we come to I, the three major differences are things I believe that God wants us to take and begin to apply to our lives. And the first thing is the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. Or human wisdom versus holy wisdom. In chapter 7, Joshua was told by the spies a course of action to take. And Joshua, we know, was a man that was full of the Spirit and the Spirit of wisdom. And Joshua heard this advice by the spies, and it obviously obviously sounded like good advice. And so he acted upon it. But the results in chapter 7 are not what Joshua nor the camp of Israel expected. And here's the thing in our life, we are always going to be bombarded by things that seem right, that seem wise, and that appear to be right or good. That's what happened to Achan, that's what happened to the king of Ai. But as God's people, we're called to live beyond worldly wisdom. Before the Israelites set foot in the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Lord spoke over over them, He says, about the concerning His word, keep them, keep My word, do My word, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. When they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon Him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Again in Joshua, concerning Joshua, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, we're told that Joshua, the Son of Man, was, a, was full of spirit, of wisdom. Yet we see here with seven, chapter 7 and into chapter 8 that even the wisest men can be corrupted by sin. And this is what sin does. And we all have this sinful nature. We all have this belief that we have it right, that we know how to do it right, and what we do is always right. Sin corrupts our wisdom because it denies God's wisdom. It denies that God is wiser than us, stronger than us, more powerful than us, holier than us, more sovereign than us. Sin actually places me in the place of God that I know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And so I'm wiser than God. So therefore, I don't need God's wisdom from His word. Yet the Word of God is meant to be wisdom for us to direct ourselves, our, our steps. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, "...only fools despise wisdom." That means only fools despise, neglect, and ignore God's Word. But from the mouth of God we're not given human or worldly wisdom, but holy and eternal wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, "...for the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding." In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told that the word of God is breathed out by God. And so this word that we have comes from the mouth of God to give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And we obtain holy wisdom by having a humble heart and a an humble attitude before a holy God. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Joshua and the camp of Israel, they experienced Humility. And a lot of times we have to experience humility through defeat. Now, why did they meet defeat? Well, we know in chapter seven that Joshua didn't seek after God until the event happened at Ai, in which they met defeat. We aren't told until chapter or chapter verse six that then God or Joshua went before the ark of the Lord, who went before the presence of God to seek after his counsel, to seek after his wisdom and what was going on. He experienced this defeat, this humility. So I thinking about this week, I began to think of myself and how do I handle defeat? How do I handle setbacks? How do I handle things in my life that don't seem to go the way I think they should go? I think a lot of times I blame God, I point the finger at God, or I get angry and I lash out, the, lash out at the people that are closest in my life but these moments of defeat these moments where life throws a curveball are meant to humble us because when we humble ourselves we can begin to seek after true wisdom in the word of god joshua was humbled and he was reminded that even though he was to lead this people he was completely relying upon god and god's word and his promises over his life the bible says in proverbs chapter 24 verse 14 know that wisdom is such to your soul that word such there in verse 14 comes from the previous verse in verse 13, that the such refers to all things that are good and sweet. So verse 14 of Proverbs says, Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. We have to be aware that Satan is very good about making things sound and appear better than they are. And in our sinful nature, we become tempted by that and we turn to those things, which means we ultimately turn from where God is leading us and where God wants us to be. The Bible says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. It also says in First Corinthians chapter 3, For the wisdom of this world is folly, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. And God's desire is for his people to live in holy wisdom. Achan acted upon his own wisdom and met destruction. The king of I, acted upon his own wisdom and met destruction. God calls us to live by holy wisdom, not human wisdom. And so there's things that we are called to do as God's people that aren't going to make sense to the world, and that's okay. Because we're living by a standard that is eternal, that is holy, that is set for all time. And even though it may not make sense to the world, and sometimes to us, we continue to cling to that. And what you read, if you read through Joshua, you see when God's people churn or stop relying upon the Word of God, they always meet disaster and defeat. The second major difference is actually the action of Joshua. In chapter 7, Joshua sends the army out, but the reading seems to imply that Joshua stays back at the camp. In chapter 8, do you notice what God tells Joshua to do? He tells Joshua to go with the people. And it says in verse 9, Joshua sent them out. He went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and I to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. And that means among the army. And what we see by Joshua's actions in the difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8 concerning I is to lead we must be in the midst of the people. Joshua was not commanded to hang out at camp. He was not commanded to stay on the sideline. He was commanded to go and be, God, and be the leader of God's people. And in order to lead God, God's people, he could not do it from behind. He could not do it by sitting behind a desk. He had to be in their midst. And there are people in our lives that need to be led to Jesus Christ. And while I do believe it is important that we pray for those people and we lift them up to God who can change hearts through His Spirit, We also have to understand that God has placed us in people's lives so we can be in their midst, we can be involved with them, that we might lead them to victory, but we have to be with them. This was Jesus and Paul's method of ministry. Their method of ministry, if you read through the Gospels and read through the book of Acts, was to be where the people were. It was not to hide out in church. It was not to hide out in a Christian camp or a Christian bubble. It was to be engaged with the people around us. And this is what Joshua was called to do with God, which leads to victory. He is to be amongst the army. He is to be amongst the people. Paul's methodology of ministry can be clearly sought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under law I became as one under law, that not being myself under law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings." Paul didn't drift away from his convictions. He didn't drift away from holy wisdom. What Paul did is he took holy wisdom to the place where people gathered. And he didn't go in prideful. He didn't go in thinking he was better or holier than thou. He went there and he became like the people. He began to relate to them. He became all things to all people so he might win some. But in order for us to win some, we have to be in the midst of the people and understand who they are, understand what they're going through, what they're wrestling with, the things that they worry about. We lift those things up to prayer, but we're also engaging with them. Victory wasn't dependent upon Joshua being with the army. Victory is dependent upon the word of God. The salvation of others isn't dependent upon Pastor Mike or dependent upon Harvest Hill, but it is dependent upon God's people being in God's world for His glory, that His kingdom might come in the people's lives who don't know Him. We are to lead people to victory. This is all of our calling as Christians. We are all called to be ambassadors for Christ, God God, uh, speaking through us, To lead people to victory, in order to do that, we have to get out of our bubbles. We have to get out of our walls. We have to engage with people who need Jesus. And the older I get, the harder this becomes. Because the older I get, the more friends and more people I have in my life that are already saved. And so I've got to get out of my comfort zone. If I really believe that people without Jesus Christ are going to hell, then I've got to get out of my comfort zone and I have to engage with them. And I have to lead them to victory. I have to be in their midst. The final thing I want us to see in chapter 8 and the difference between chapter 7. Chapter 7, the spies sent about 2,000 to 3,000. How many did God say to send? All of them. All in. Don't send two, don't send 3,000, send them all in. And so the battle plan, if you want to read through chapter 8, 30,000 men wait behind the city. That's 10 times the size of the original army of chapter 7. There are 5,000 men that are set between Bethel and I. That group was even larger than the original army. Finally, the remainder of the army was in the valley with Joshua to draw out the king and its army. Israel completely outnumbered the entire population of I. And yet this wasn't overkill on God's behalf. This was a statement to Joshua, look, I have given you all of these resources. Use all the resources I have given you. I think that's something we need to take, and I, I need, to learn this, need to learn this week. That God has blessed me. He has blessed us with so many resources but at times we only use 2 to 3,000 here 5,000 there. God says use all of the vitamin, use all of the resources I have given you. I love this verse out of 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 3. It says his divine power has granted to us all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness so if god has given us all things why don't we use all things if all things are a resource for us for life and godliness why don't we use all things as that resource and so what are some of the resources god has given us Well, in this moment We've been going in His Word, so God has given us His Word. Have we been in God's Word the way we should have been this week? Have we been using this incredible resource that God has given us to seek after Him and gain holy wisdom? God has given us His Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Bible promises that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you to give you wisdom beyond this world's ways, to give you conviction, to bring you to a place of repentance, to guide and lead you to where God wants you to be, to say the things you need to say when you need to say them, to see things as they truly are meant to be seen. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. We have the promises of God, which unlike the promises of this world will never fail. God is always faithful to His Word. We have God's creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. What an incredible resource. God says, "Get outside and use my resource I've put all around you. See my glory, see my hand, see my sovereignty, see my power and my authority, and move you to a place of worship." God has given us experiences, some good and some bad. But experiences to which we've learned how to trust God more, or we've learned what not to do when walking with God. He's given us experiences, move us to places of worship. Look at the resource that God has placed around you in this moment. The people of God. There's an incredible pool of resources that we surround ourselves with every single Sunday, sometimes on Wednesdays, sometimes throughout the week, either here or in homes. An incredible pool of resources all around you of people who are struggling with sin just like you are you can lean upon, you can pray with, you can turn to God with. People who can keep you accountable. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And even in this country, we've got the freedoms that we have. He's given us all things. And so like Joshua, we're called to use all the resources God has placed behind, in front of us and around us. Because we have a battle and the battle is with human wisdom, which is sinful wisdom, over trusting the Word of God. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, God commanded Joshua to be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, then you may have good success. In the end of chapter 8, where does Joshua call God's people back to? The law of God. I think Joshua understood I've not been using this resource that I'm supposed to be clinging to not turning from and and God understood that God's people had turned from following God and, and being obedient to the word of God and so Joshua doesn't just read part of the law he read all of it now that's that's a sermon right Jason next week come we're going to read from Exodus chapter 19 through Deuteronomy and Leviticus it'd just be awesome Joshua read all the law because he saw the importance of this incredible resource that God had given His people as they went into the promise of God. And so my challenge for us all this morning, in using this incredible resource, if you're not memorizing the Word of God, begin memorizing the Word of God. You you should be reading the Word of God as a child. You should be studying the Word of God as a child. You should have the Word of God around you, listening to it through song and through worship and all that stuff. But you also should have the Word of God inside of you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, In all circumstances, there's that all word again. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it's completely about the Word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist wrote, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Begin memorizing the word of God. And some of y'all are going to be, that's like, whoa, because you made me never challenge. Some of y'all are already doing that. You've already got words stored up. But if you hear, you know, memorize the word of God and you automatically want to take a step back, you automatically like, well, that's going to be too hard. How am I going to find the time? Then let me just give you some, some little advice. Begin with passages that you've become familiar with already. John 3.16. Go to your Bible. and I read from the English Standard Version. You may read from a different one. Go to John 3.16 and make sure you have John 3.16 memorized. It summarizes the gospel, the love of God completely. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe go to Romans 3.23. Which helps to understand John 3, 16, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. John 10, 10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. Anybody ever heard of these verses before? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the what? Life. Life. No one comes to the Father except through me start with Genesis 1:1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the point is is to begin memorizing the word of God to begin storing it up in our heart why so we will not sin against God it will combat our sinful nature and this worldly wisdom that we are bombarded with every single day and begin storing up holy wisdom and have this treasure of The trove of holy arsenal inside of us. So when Satan comes to tempt us to do something out of the promise in the word of God, we can just shoot out the word of God at him. And maybe you're going through something at this very moment that you just need a passage of scripture to begin clinging to, to begin praying over and to begin praising God for. I think the problem is we can be a lot like Joshua in chapter 7 and that we think we've got this all figured out and we can handle this. But the reality is Joshua and the Israelites could not receive victory until they fully trusted in God and followed what God said. A lot of us here will challenge ourselves physically. The challenge here this morning is are we willing to take a challenge spiritually? Are we willing to challenge ourselves spiritually? My confession, as I've been preparing this message, is that I've become kind of lazy in this. And I've got passages of Scripture memorized, but I'm not continually adding to my arsenal. My confession is God is surrounded me with incredible resources in my wife, and I've not been using her as a resource to keep me accountable, nor am I keeping her accountable in memorizing the Word of God. God has given me incredible resources in my kids and our family, that I don't have to try to memorize God's Word or be in God's Word by myself. We can do it as a family. We can memorize it together. We can draw nearer to God and nearer to one another through His Word. Some of you all work in places where there are small groups and Bible studies already going. What an incredible resource God has given you to keep you accountable to be in God's Word and begin memorizing God's Word. Maybe you can take the challenge to them. Hey, I think we should memorize a passage of Scripture together. Some of you all in small groups. And I know we did in small groups and we go through Bible studies and we watch uh, things and and we talk about them. But are we memorizing the Word of God? Are we storing it in us or are we just talking and talking and talking? God has given us incredible resources. He's surrounded with incredible people to hold us accountable that we might store up His Word in our hearts so we will not sin against Him. And if we were to take this challenge... We got about four months left because we're going to count August. But August, September, October, November, five months you count August. Five months. If you were to just memorize one verse a month, you'd have five passages of Scripture memorized by then this year. If you were to do one a week or one every other week, man, you'd be loaded. This time next year, if we were to take this challenge, we could have at minimum 12 passages of Scripture memorized in our hearts, storing them up so we will not sin against God and rely upon holy wisdom over human wisdom. If we were to do twice a week, we could have 26. If you do once a week, you'd have 52. Can you imagine where you would be in a year if you had 52 passages of Scripture memorized that you're able to recite without having to dig through the Word of God to find it? You're able to, to give it word for word, the reference in everything, and you're able to spit it out at all the sin and all the temptation that comes at you every single day. How much stronger in the faith would you be? we've got to use the resource and i know we've got phones i know we've got tablets i know we can carry the bible wherever we go they even make them pocket sized and you can stick them in your pocket But how much of an impact would it be when our conversations the word of god just flows into it because it's stored up in our heart how much of a change in our outlook of the world around us would that create How much hope and love and grace and mercy can we pour into people's lives that God has placed around us if we have the Word of God within us? Are we using all the resources? Because Joshua used the resources of God, he used the wisdom of God, and he was where God wanted him to be. He saw victory. You may be here this morning and you're in the midst of battle and not even know it. And God wants to bring you to victory. The Bible says that God created each and every individual to be in a relationship with Him. You can read that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 when God created everything. But then in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And sin separated all of us from a holy God, a loving God, a merciful God. And what we try to do is the same thing the first man and woman tried to do. We try to fix it ourselves. They try to cover themselves up and they hid from God. And we do the same thing. We we may not run around naked, but we try to cover ourselves up. We try to make ourselves look better and feel better. And so we try to act better and do good things and things we think are appropriate. But our good deeds will never forgive our sins. And God knows that about every individual in this place. that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to this earth... He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins, took our punishment upon the cross. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later. And the Bible says, everyone who believes in this in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who rose from the grave, they will be saved. And to be saved means you are completely forgiven and enter into the promises and the presence of God, where God created you to be. You may be here this morning and that's exactly what you need. You're living in defeat right now, and God is calling you to victory to begin a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be down here and ask Jackson to come and lead us. And if that's you, just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to know more about this salvation and being forgiven. I want to have eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been like me and you've just come kind of spiritually lazy not taking advantage of the resources that God has placed all around us, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you just want to come and kneel before the Father and make a commitment. I'm going to pursue after you more. I'm going to use the people in my life to keep me accountable to that. I say this to you as as your pastor, that you as my church, family, can keep me accountable. So ask me next week, so how's that whole memorizing scripture thing with your family going? Ethan's really looking forward to it. start with Jesus wept but you can keep me accountable so I can keep you accountable and we can continue to grow in life and godliness and holiness it's not about our self-righteousness it's about being transformed more into the image he created us to be we're going to come this time in response as Jackson plays a song if you need to come and kneel before the Father I invite you to do so if you want to come and talk to me about accepting Jesus Christ I'm going to beg you to come Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us all things. All things. You've held nothing back. Forgive me. Forgive us when we've relied upon our own wisdom. We try to figure it out ourselves instead of turning to you and be reliant upon you. Lord, let us take the lesson from your scripture that you've given us that that never works. Lord forgive me for when I've been getting frustrated because it didn't go according to my plan. Lord, I want to store up your word in my heart. I treasure that. Lord, I surrendered you. I surrendered my family to you and my kids to you. I surrendered this church to you. Glad we know that you're doing a great, mighty work here at Harvested. in the name of Jesus invite right, you stand about right, you to